It's been said that time is a flat circle. In fact, I can tell you exactly who said it and where it was said. It was an episode of HBO's True Detective, where Matthew McConaughey's Rustin Cole character is in an interview room going over events from memories and exploring the deeper realms of human consciousness in the process. The reference itself is to German philosopher Nietzsche and the meaning of the quote, Let me be completely honest with you here before we go on. Full disclosure. I couldn't tell you. For me, it's a quote that sounds infinitely profound. A polished diamond that seemingly encapsulates all that life is. A full pot of liquid thinking that's been reduced in the boiling pot of language to a solid nugget. But give it ten seconds or so, as the brain wraps its tentacles around it and explores, picks, grapples, and perhaps you will find yourself at the same point as me when I first heard it, back where I started. But now maybe that's the point, back to where I started, the circle. Damn it. Well, we're at the introduction phase of the podcast, and together we've unravelled a Nietzsche quote via a character played by Matthew McConaughey in a TV series. Dear listener, the Blue Mind podcast contains nothing if not multitudes. The reason I arrived at all of this, up top at the very beginning, is because time itself has been a very real and somewhat intimidating presence out there. And maybe you felt this too, but I feel like time has been like the sticky air out there, unavoidable and resonant but not visible. To give you the picture in Margate, the paperwork of winter is now ashes on the ground, its form entirely shifted into wispy memories of snow and early evenings. Spring is now stretching its limbs, throwing back the dust covers from endless blue skies kept in storage, and there's a fizz and sparkle replacing the frost and slow of winter months. With the Blue Mind podcast, the design was always for it to be evergreen. By this, I mean a sense of freedom within time, not being anchored to months or marked by events in the world, but something that can be plucked from the archives and listened to as standalone moments in this blue sky bubble. In this episode, specifically in the introduction phase, I'm really focusing on time, where we are in history. At this moment, it's roughly a year since full lockdowns commenced, or at least since we all adjusted our headspace furniture, made changes which seemed simultaneously instant and long-lasting and began a year ahead which unfolded in front of us daily, like reverse origami, into a creature which resembled not a frog nor a swan, but something altogether outside of our imagining. I've consciously steered away from pandemic references in the podcast, which is a luxury afforded to it by the fact that it is not weekly or daily. It would be impossible to keep up with events in a podcast such as this, which has countless moving parts, creative elements, and so many more pieces within which would be insane making to break down here. What you might be detecting though in this episode here is, I hope anyway, a sense of positivity about the previously unspoken about outside world. This is the blue mind bubble, but of course we can see outside of it. And I felt like it would be, well, just weird to not bring it up. We've all changed, grown, evolved, progressed, whether it feels like it or not. And this has all happened in real time in front of our eyes as a human race. Wherever anyone stands politically, socially, however it looks in our mind's eye, here we are together. We're not through it by any means, but again, to reference time and the seasons, I feel like I should do a needle drop of that zombies track here. Alright, well okay, maybe a second or two for copyright reasons, but that's it. But again, to reference time and the seasons, springtime is here. And with it, and our new finely tuned seasonal spidey senses, it feels like shoots of positivity are available to us. So without dwelling too much on all of this, let me familiarise you with the fourth episode of Blue Mind and the set list ahead. But also, thanks so much for your ears and for letting me talk about all of that. Personally, I can add nothing new to your internal monologue or thoughts about what the last year has been about. Merely offer some reflections here. I just wanted to frame my addressing of events in the intro and why. So thank you again. Time is a flat circle, my friends.
You are listening to the Blue Mind podcast from Haeckel's in Margate. Think of this as your auditory escape hatch, safe space and your world within or outside of a world. It can be an escape or an entrance, a journey of discovery or just straight up pure relaxation time, whatever works best for you. I'm your host, Buddy Peace, and mine will be the voice you'll hear narrating throughout. So here is the view from above of the Blue Mind podcast, episode number four. The introduction has been introduced, and from here onwards you will hear from two guests. These are interviews I conducted with two fascinating and inspiring people, in today's case who have worked with Heckles or been featured on the Instagram stories and Blue Mind Journal by our very own Jess Gregory. The Blue Mind Journal, by the way, is available on the Heckles website and weekly mailouts which drop every single Sunday. The first guest I'll be speaking to is Jan Burbe of Grown Bio, based in the Netherlands. Jan is one of the founders of the company, who specialise in biotechnology which specifically works in concert with the environment. The word biotechnology might sound like a lot to deal with if you're unfamiliar with this side of things, but to unpack it, it essentially means technologies and solutions which use living organisms and biological systems. I prefer the unpacked version as it's so much more fun. But, you know, shorthand and all that. We had a great chat about all things mycelium and the magical properties therein, and environment and so much more besides. Following Jan, you'll also hear my chat with architect and jewellery designer, an incredible maker who utilises eco-materials within her works to gorgeous effect. You'll hear her tale of how she found the doorway into her current world of creation and be fully charged and inspired by her contextualising of what might be referred to as eco-waste or surplus material. After you hear what she's up to, you'll surely think very differently about materials that are out there available to us. And of course we'll be hearing from Heckles House therapist and Blue Mind regular Lottie for a unique meditation for this episode. After all of this, along with our regularly scheduled Blue Mind Thought Breaks in between for some mental clarity and calmness, I hope that this so-called flat circle of time will have been inflated with the fresh air of pure creativity, passion and joy. Maybe we can create our own time sphere right here, right now. The Blue Mind Bubble. My fingers are crossed. With all this in mind, I'll give you some nice space here to just shake things out, settle in, stretch out and get cosy. And then I'd say we're in pretty good shape to get going. Does that sound good? All right, I'll meet you back here in a sec. I've never actually known when plastic was invented. It's always been here while I've been alive, I know that, and was around long before I was born. But as a material, when was plastic born? In the 1980s, I would have consulted the P section of the many binders of the joy of knowledge, which filled up about two of the bookshelves in my childhood home. It was an instalment-based encyclopedia, which weighed about, I want to say, 30 kilograms. Just now I typed, when was plastic invented on a search engine, and was given many answers. So I can safely say there's a window between the last half of the 1800s and very early 1900s in which plastic was introduced to the world. One source mentions that it was introduced as a replacement for ivory, one natural material which I'm very happy to say isn't in as wide use as it once was. Plastic is a difficult one. It solves a lot of problems, sure, but the problems it presents are long-lasting. A list of unanswered questions for future generations. As a kid flipping through those joy of knowledge binders, I was blissfully oblivious of the long-lasting effects of the materials in the environment. I would never litter, and I would reuse bits and pieces when I could too. I could have built a small hotel for menti ice cream and margarine tubs which we held on to. I should say that we did have a very diet, I'm not sure where they all came from truth be told. I could have built the same small hotel from plastic Lego bricks though, of course. But I didn't consider the future of plastics all those years ago. Yambo Bay is somebody who has been considering these conundrums for a while now. To such a point that he is actively creating solutions and alternatives with his company Grown Bio, based in the Netherlands. 
If you remember back in episode two, we heard from Dr. Becky Early about circular design, products which don't take away from the environment and give back to it at the end of their use. This is basically exactly what's happening here. But what I could do is just start with how it started. Oh, absolutely. But first, let's get you officially introduced. Yeah, sure. So, hi, uh, pleased to be here. My name is Jan Berbe, and I'm the founder of Grown.bio, which is a company that makes products using organic waste streams and mycelium. Jan Berbe, Blue Mind listeners, Blue Mind listeners, Jan Berbe. Let me tell you how Grown Bio started, which is meanwhile five years ago. Back then, I was a consultant for sustainable packaging. And coming from the packaging industry, uh, I thought I knew about packaging. Well, big surprise, stepping into the world of sustainable packaging means that all your knowledge and all your experience is completely vaporized because it's all based on plastic and corrugated boxes. So I had to re-educate myself completely from scratch again, which led me into a journey on, on fairs, but a lot of that also on Google. And that's how I found a term Mushroom packaging. Mushrooms. Now, let's all keep mushrooms in our minds for the duration of Jan's stay here, as they are absolutely essential to what's happening here. They're pretty miraculous, but we'll get back to that. In that time, I was actually working together with a mushroom grower who was looking for an alternative for this ugly blue plastic bin that he uses for his mushrooms. So I thought, hey, I found something for him. Started Googling further, and then this brought me to a company called Ecovative Design in New York, who actually do not make mushroom packages. They make packaging made of mushrooms. So instead of packing mushrooms, they use the mushroom to pack, which just left me with a big question mark. How, how could this work? <laughs> so that's why I decided to reach out to them and, and talk to them, so, can you tell me? And they were open to discuss, so we started a nice conversation. Yeah, I mentioned a big question mark just then. There's a big question mark right here too. How in the world do you make packaging out of mushrooms? This is the leap right here. If someone presented any one of us with a bowl of mushrooms and directed us to make packaging from them, we'd more likely all be looking at each other, raising our shoulders and hands in that sort of, I don't know, motion. I'll let Jan take over. That's how I learned that basically what they do is they use not the mushroom itself. They use the roots of the mushroom. And roots of mushrooms that are underground, the name for that is mycelium. And it's that mycelium that has remarkable properties. Here is the leap part. How you get from a mushroom being something you might use as a meal ingredient to becoming a natural packaging solution, mycelium. The mycelium, well, I can, I can tell you so many miracles about mycelium, but the first thing that is useful for, for, for us when we want sustainable packaging is that mycelium binds stuff together. It's like a natural glue. So what you do is when you take organic waste streams from the forest, from your garden, and you mix a little bit of mycelium through it, then the mycelium starts eating the nutrients from that waste and at the same time growing around all the the, the waste that you've given it to eat. And by doing so, it will bind it all together as one block, which means that the only next trick you have to do is to shape that block. Give it a shape, create a mold, put the stuff in that mold, mix mycelium through it, and five days later, that's how fast this goes, you will have a mycelium form. So now we're familiar with the word mycelium, what it is, how you pronounce it for one, but also how it works itself as an organism. It's a beautiful shift in perspective from a growing object to being a real-life living organism which has nutritional requirements and, well, leaves something behind at the end. It's almost like treating the mushroom, or rather the mycelium part, like an animal. Or like a pet. Well, this is part of the process, but I was wondering, Jan mentioned about it taking five days. How much ground does this material cover in five days? And how do you scale up and down if you need to? That's a good question, because uh, many people think that the bigger, the longer it takes. Well, that's not, in fact the case because what we do is when we mix the mycelium through it through the waste we always mix it in a certain percentage around 10 percent so a lot of waste a little bit of mycelium uh, but we mix it through and through all through the shape and if that shape is two meters long 10 meters long or five centimeters 
it doesn't matter. The mycelium is everywhere, well mixed through, which means that it will always take only five days to completely, as, a, as we would say in, in mycelial terms, colonize the substrate. It will completely, let's say, grow through and around that waste stream. And, that's, that, and that just needs five days, whether big, whether small. So five days is the key. It's all about the percentages of the mixture. Indeed, yes, that's correct, yeah. After five days, we are nearly ready, because then, after the, after the fifth day, we have to take the shape out of the mold, and at that moment, it is still alive. The mycelium is still living. And the shape that, you, if you will touch it, it will still be feel a little bit moist, jelly, or yeah, even a little bit sticky, because that mycelium is just active, digesting what you have given it to eat. Of course, it's a living organism at this point, so there comes a point where, in order to transcend from the living world to packaging, the inevitable must take place. What we then do is we will place it in a big oven and we will heat it up to 80 degrees. And what that does is it will dehydrate the shape. So the shape will half in weight because all the weight, water evaporates and the mycelium will die, with the end result being a really light but very strong product. So with the mold in place, the mycelium can in fact keep growing if it's not stopped. But it's more like it grows stronger inside and left unattended will get pretty out of hand. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the mycelium will, will keep on growing, but it will not grow out into the air. So that shape that you've grown into a mold will not become bigger and bigger and bigger. No, the mycelium will go more internally uh, and make the shape stronger and stronger. However, it will take the energy from the waste you've given it. So if you grow it too long, mycelium will do what it's actually meant for, and that is to make a mushroom. If you wait too long, you will see mushrooms coming out of your shape, which is what we don't want because we are making packaging. <laughs> I've heard things here and there about mushrooms, and a case has been forming in my mind slowly over time that basically they are, well, as I said before, miracles. If someone was to mention the word alien, I'd venture to say that most people might immediately think of the Sigourney Weaver franchise, or perhaps UFOs and Roswell and things of this nature. But through the years, I've started to think more of creatures like octopuses and indeed the humble mushroom. They seem to have so many characteristics, behaviours and forms that it would be just about the most reductive thing to see them as a mere addition to a meal. The same can indeed be said of the octopus. There's talk of them being around on the Earth as we know it for upwards of a billion years. So it would be crazy to think that they haven't developed some of their own biotechnologies in that time. Jan elaborates. Absolutely, you are. That is so right what you say there. There are so many different types of mushrooms on the planet. I believe we have five billion types of mushrooms, uh, and we only know a portion of that. Of course, we know the oyster mushroom, the shiitake mushroom, and, and, and many, many more but there's more unknown than known mushrooms. And these things, these mushrooms, they have been here on the planet millions of years before us. And in these millions of years, they uh, have also gathered a lot of, let's say, knowledge and experience that we don't even know. I mean, I just mentioned that mycelium is a remarkable material that sticks together. But in fact, mycelium is also a communication mechanism underground. So imagine you two trees, one tree is becoming sick. It's been attacked by something that, uh, that means that it's going sick and maybe even die. Underground, the mycelium connects the trees together. And when that tree is sick and starts to create a defensive mechanism to try to overcome that sickness, meanwhile, the mycelium underground will talk to the other trees and say, hey guys, there's a sick tree over there. Start defending yourself. And this is really true. This is actually proven that that is what mycelium also does. They call it sometimes the internet of the forest. The internet of the forest. How incredible is that? They literally have their own broadband. I had to ask what it looks like. Is it literally mushroom telepathy, like Wi-Fi, or is it like an ethernet cable? No, but it's a good... What, what it actually does is the mycelium... Mycelium is the name for what is called hyphae. Hyphae are wires. Think of it like a plate of spaghetti. You just see wires everywhere. And what these wires do is they are transportation wires. So they bring nutrients from somewhere to somewhere. But if you bring nutrients from A to B, you can also bring information from A to B. So in the mycelial wires, the hyphae, 
Food and information is traveling together. It's, uh, yeah, it's really remarkable, this material. So you can see why there's a case building for me about how magical mushrooms are. But it's knowing how to harness the inner magic and translate that into something equally magical that really adds up to real genius products. But I was curious to know what the inspiration was, that triggering moment for Jan that made him consider the future of our environment as something worth working towards. Yeah, so, so for me, the trigger was actually before discovering uh, mycelium and, and, and mushroom packaging, uh, I, I already realized that what we're doing on this planet is wrong. We are sucking everything out of the planet instead of keeping it alive and, 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 and make it sustaining for future generations. So we need to change the way we live. And when I was, let's say, uh, setting up my company, doing consultancy on, on helping other companies reduce the, 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 the footprint of their packaging, my mantra and the, what I also told people was reduce, reuse, recycle. So the first thing we should all do is just reduce what we consume. We consume so much. And, and if you look at, at, at consumption patterns across the globe, there will be people who consume one unit of whatever. And then when you go into Europe or the US, you see that, that's, that the same person in that other country can consume 17 units compared to some, somebody else. And that's insane. We are just consuming too much. We just need to be consuming all the time. But that's a problem which is extremely difficult to, to change. I mean that I hope that the COVID, COVID has been a bad thing for us all. But one thing I hope we have learned is that we can also enjoy life with less. Speaking of COVID and the pandemic, which depending on where you're hearing this is all either very much still in our present or slowly appearing in our rear views, How has it all affected our environment and Jan's attitude towards his work and innovations? Absolutely, yes. We're flying less. We're driving less. That's a big thing. But so I thought, well, okay, well, we cannot stop eating. So, I mean, we have to consume something and and you want to step out of your house and travel or walk. And so we need to find smart ways to accommodate uh, the way of living we have and even other people who don't have that same luxury level as you and I have uh, to bring that bring them to that same level. But it must be in a sustainable way. And I said, well, I can only do it for the field I know, which is packaging. And that's uh, when I started searching. And that's also, coincidentally, I found uh, Ecovative and mushroom packaging. I thought I need to jump on this one because this is really something that can help the whole packaging industry a lot. Because I had mentioned that at the end of the whole growing and baking off process you have this product which is extremely light and it feels like styrofoam and in fact it just has the same properties of styrofoam with the big difference as this is completely natural it comes from agricultural rest streams so what could be nicer than then take a piece of mycelium packaging and when you're done unpacking your item you just give it back to your garden as nutrition for your plants you can sense the excitement and enthusiasm in yan about what's happening it's like when someone's smiling. There's something inside us that can tell if it's genuine or not. It's something that I feel like we mirror in us when we hear it. Not that we'll all start making sustainable mycelium packaging, but more like the spirit and the enthusiasm. It feels great when you talk to somebody who's found their thing, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, we're, actually, we're, really, we're excited about it every day. I can't stop feeling happy that, hey, what wonderful that this is something we can contribute with. It includes the team too. And Jan speaks incredibly highly of everyone who works there and the feeling of being amongst the hustle and bustle of a busy floor. It's tough to beat that feeling of everyone having equal footing and the chance to contribute in a positive atmosphere. I feel like here is a perfect time to set Jan free from the communication confines for now to get back to work. I'm stopping here because I just don't know if you... I mean, I can go on for an hour if you want. But But before we bid a farewell for now... I wanted to know how he feels about the future of the environment and how it looks from where he and the company are. Yeah, good topic, good question, and good, good, and nice topic to discuss also. But I am, I am an optimistic guy, but we have to be realistic with regards to the future, and there is an enormous need to change. I mean, there is so much threat around us, but we should not be demotivated by that. We just have to stand up and, and face that and change the way we live. But the threat to our environment is massive. The extinction of species, of insects. I mean, there's so much going lost. 
But again, we should not be demotivated. We should just have to realize that it's only us as humans who caused it and who can also change it. So yes, I'm optimistic that we can change the way we live. Where it will bring us, I cannot tell you, but let's let's focus on what we can do today and tomorrow instead of in 10 years. A perfect note to end on right there with a message of positivity, but also realism. We all have our various parts to play and knowing that there are companies like Grown Bio out there looking for solutions to a world of pollution, it all feels like we're at least somewhat on the right path. You can find more from Grown Bio on their website, which rather perfectly is over at grown.bio. And you can find an array of glorious mycelium packaging over at Heckles, from candles to gift packages. It's wild stuff, and it's so lovely to have items that aren't packed in material that's so disastrous for the environment. It really is special. All right. Cool. Hey, guy. Um, thanks for the, for the chat. It was wonderful. And uh, enjoy the day. Take care. Enjoy the day. Bye-bye. You are listening to the Blue Mind podcast. From the world of sustainable and circular packaging to a world that will exist entirely in your own head and hopefully transfer to your entire body. Yes, this is the place where, in the Blue Mind podcast, we move gracefully into the thought break. A break for your ears, mind and consciousness. We give you time to ponder on what you've just heard. Make some notes in the mental pinboard. Make yourself a drink if that's where you're at. But I know this is a podcast listener myself. Your instinct might be to skip ahead and automatically leap to the forward button in moments where the talking isn't. Well, let's try this instead. Leave this moment on, uninterrupted, and let your mind wander. And if you're in a place where it can happen, just indulge in the act of not having to do anything with your ears and mind other than hear sound. See where it takes you. Get lost in it. I'll bring you back in in a couple of minutes. I'll see you soon. I'm sorry, I always wanted to do that on here. It's like in a film where somebody's being woken up. Anyway, I hope that little break was great and you had a nice chance to comb through the thoughts and the feelings and all of that goodness. You're listening to Blue Mind. So far, we've been introduced to the wide world of mycelium, mushrooms and the art of sustainable packaging through Yamba Bay of Grown Bio. From an architect of eco-aware inventions to another architect in the field of jewellery design using eco-materials, 
Dear listener, I would love to introduce you to our second guest in the Blue Mind Bubble. Of course. So I'm, I'm Angela Giovanno. I'm an architect and designer and um, specialized in uh, contemporary jewelry. Angela's work is both stunning and striking at the same time. Stunning in that each piece of jewellery is made with such care and attention but with a primary objective of looking wonderful and striking in that it is simply not what you would call regular jewellery. It has a unique energy and what you could call vibration in it. At this point in time I haven't seen it in person, close up, but through enough photographic exploration I feel like I can imagine what it's like to hold and examine closer. We can pick up on this soon, but let's hear from Angie and how she got into this world of high-level craft. Okay, yeah, so um, after uh, studying uh, architecture and working for a while, for a few years, I had the chance to do an apprenticeship uh, in jewellery. Um, I was just attracted to, to learn the techniques and I had the chance to do it uh, 10 years ago. I was very lucky to, to be there and then I started working on my first piece. So far, so good for Angie. It's not always easy knowing where to start on a path, especially in a transition from one discipline to another, architecture to jewellery in her case. But at this point in time, there's something that stayed with her and in some ways was her first one-piece exhibition of her work. Well, kind of. It's a piece I will always remember because it actually has a very uh, very, very funny story for me now. Uh, I was planning to keep it and to remember it always, but then I traveled back to Belgium. At that time, uh, I was working out in Belgium and I had to travel back and uh, apparently I, I must have lost it somewhere, probably in the, in the airport. So that's how I lost my first ring. Uh, it's gone <laughs> so I don't know whoever might uh, have found it I hope in time it will be a very very valuable piece for him <laughs> I mean it's a kind of promotion in some ways I can imagine him being strategically placed in various points with a small business card and contact details perhaps although this would be a very expensive strategy of that it sounds like Angie found a confidence in her work though which blew away the cobwebs of a self-doubting creative person including all kinds of leaps and bounds along the path, each leap and bound getting higher and further. But going back to, to that time, um, that happened 10 years ago. So in 2010, I started uh, working on jewellery. I liked it very, very much. And I was very surprised to see that I have uh, any, any ability to do it. Because for all my life, I had a, a strong impression that I'm unable to work anything with my hands. Even during my my university years, when we had to work on the models, <laughs> on the architecture models, I was so clumsy and the result was always so bad. <laughs> now when I look back, I think it's also a, a mix of, of lack of, of technique, of uh, lack of inadequacy with the material so probably now uh, that would I would have a different approach on it but anyway the the, um, the biggest surprise was that I was able to do anything at all anything that was also pleasant to others so um, that's how I decided to to continue with it I stayed as an apprentice for two years and afterwards I continued uh, all by myself and um, during the last 10 years I had the chance to, to experiment a lot with various materials so my, my work has shifted from, of course it's, it's normal, it's a process, it's an artistic process and it would have been strange uh, otherwise but I went through various techniques, various materials and I also had the chance to showcase my work um, in various places all over the world. I feel privileged about it. I feel like the link between architecture and jewellery is very strong. And while one is exponentially larger in scale than the other, to say the very least, both disciplines require what I can imagine are absolute dead-on calculations with little or no room for error. In architecture, a miscalculation could result in the unthinkable. But in jewellery, okay, the stakes will be a lot smaller, but any angles and joins that don't match, or any sizing issues or discrepancies that carry through from design to finished piece, mean the difference between a practice study and something that would be worn with pride. 
It's a very fulfilling feeling, actually. It's one of the things that made the difference for me between architecture and jewelry, because in architecture, um, the process, the design process is quite long and also the transposing it into reality is even longer and it has many intermediaries but in jewelry i have the chance to see it out of my hands out of my studio and uh, directly being worn uh, by somebody and that's a that's a beautiful feeling uh, it's a beautiful feeling to see uh, um, the interaction of, of your piece with somebody else's body and yeah i think it's one of the most beautiful things that you can experience as uh, i don't know as a creator as an artist as someone who does things uh, as a craftsman having the chance to touch other people's lives with your own very very small part but you do it and that's a very beautiful feeling the big difference in my case between perceiving my work in relation to the public is that in architecture um, it actually takes a much longer time for your work to touch other people's lives. There are actually many changes and uh, to be honest many compromises also in the process. But here in jewelry I have uh, most of the control on it and that's a different feeling. So when I make a piece, then it becomes an extension of the personality of somebody wearing it. So it's not just uh, an accessory. I think it, uh, it helps the, the person to express themselves. So this is the backstory, the leaps and bounds, the origins and all of that good stuff. But aside from the skill and refinement Angie possesses, what separates her work from others is the material she uses and the qualities of the materials that she harnesses in her work. I'll let her take over here and catch you up on how she got her start in using eco-materials. When I started with jewelry, I started with the more um, more classic, I mean, with classical techniques, even though the, the result was not at all classical, but I used silver and gold and um, some precious gems. But then I, I wanted to experiment as much as possible with my own techniques. And uh, five years ago, I think in 2014, I started working with um, recycled silk paper. Um, and that was the first major step because it was a big shift in my work from an aesthetic and technical point of view. And um, I didn't know what to expect from the as a feedback from the public, but I uh, received a very, very unexpectedly good feedback because I, I wanted to look at jewelry from a different perspective um, and we are used to attaching certain values to jewelry yeah. the notions of preciousness and value are very much connected to the materials like the gold to, to, to precious stones then I wanted to, to see it from a different point of view what if the real um, added value to a, a piece is uh, our own creativity and actually the piece itself is uh, little by little uh, withering itself. That was the case of, of using um, paper. You can hear the foundations being laid as she talks, specifically regarding the notion of preciousness. It's entirely true. We can be dazzled and wide-eyed when we look at a diamond or precious metal. That is to say, an image anyway. Not all of us are privy to such extravagances in the real world. But there is also room at the table for this same notion of value in something that has been laboured over in craft and process, which isn't inherently valuable, like gold for instance. She breaks it down here and I'll pause at a key moment which, I feel, is the true gold nugget of her whole aesthetic. Then as a next step, I had the chance in 2018 to, to team up with company in Spain. They are called Innovarti and they are the they own this technology of creating a non-woven. This this is the term for the material, non-woven material that can incorporate um, residues, so particles coming from waste, waste from um, food and textile industries. And I, uh, I worked with them and uh, according to, to my briefs, I hope I was not very annoying, but <laughs> I asked them to incorporate different waste residues 
uh, like charcoal or uh, silk residues or cotton and also the rest of dry tomatoes for instance or um, cereals and for the first time um, I've used these materials into jewelry and here is that gleaming light up the room nugget as promised I like to perceive waste as uh, the new gold and actually that was the main idea behind this capsule collection of reconsidering these notions of preciousness and value in fashion and jewellery how cool is that? Waste is the new gold. To reframe waste material as precious, in a similar way to Jan earlier, as something that performs as a bold main task of the product and takes centre stage, rather than being something pushed to the background and discarded or ignored. It just takes a small shift in thinking and perspective and there it is. In a second, Angie also brings up the important word alchemy. I hadn't thought of it until she said it, but it's true. Alchemy. In alchemy, there is a concept, uh, they used to, to say that our gold is not common gold. And I like that very much. I think it matches my idea because uh, my gold now is not common gold, it is a new gold. So the, the waste as a new gold is something uh, that goes beyond the notion of sustainability, what we were talking earlier about about this big word that is on everybody's lips now, uh, sustainability, when we, we actually are already in the point where we have to not only to sustain the environment and the, everything surrounding us, but also to regenerate it. And for that, we need to regenerate also our systems of values and mentalities. And without to regenerate our social and economical system, but uh, we have to start from the, the from the very basic from how we perceive value how we perceive uh, preciousness i don't expect any change to to happen all of a sudden and for sure it will be a process and for sure uh, for the start it will not involve a lot of people but uh, as long as this group becomes larger and then it becomes a critical mass <laughs> able to make a really impact then i'm fine with that these movements take time. They're steam trains building up to speed with so many people on board working on, working in the engine room. Okay, I don't know how steam trains work. And that was a risky analogy without this knowledge. But the fact is, the movements build up speed and steam and grow exponentially and all over the place. Sometimes permissions need to be given and then people can feel like, ah, I can do that. Uh, it's true, there, there is a new generation of people, of designers, who are at the same time also researchers. It's a, a niche group, but then it becomes larger and larger, I'm happy to see that. Because I think we find uh, ourselves at the point where it is clear for everybody that fashion cannot be just fast-producing and then um, having four collections per year that become a massive source of pollution. And we also have technology by our side and we have the chance to look into different directions. So, uh, yeah, during the last uh, years, there's been um, an expanding scene of emerging designers and that are at the same time uh, researchers and are bold enough to go beyond these limitations, the, the common known limitations of fashion. I refer to fashion even though I'm, I would not consider myself part of it, like fashion, I don't make clothes, yeah? But in jewelry, um, as far as I know, there is not much research in this direction, yeah? in, in experimenting uh, with these new materials, with eco-materials. So that might have been one of the reasons why um, I got very good feedback i call angie an eco alchemist ah uh, that's a that's a very flattering term <laughs> i'm not sure that I... <laughs> one thing we haven't addressed though in all of this inspiration and the ideas behind the jewelry is the process have a think about how you would make this kind of thing happen give it just a moment to cycle through your head a little i gave it a shot but i just couldn't really grapple with it and this is why i love talking to the people behind this stuff we all get to find out together and I feel like we're being let in on some mad technology summit. 
or a secret classroom or something. I think at this point I might need to explain a bit the technology of these non-woven materials, uh, just a little bit, to give an understanding of uh, how they're made and what's the particularity of it. I'll let Angie take the mic. You actually have very tiny particles of residues, yeah? As I said, uh, residues from textiles and uh, food industry, like dried uh, residues, that, that organic ones. And then um, they are spread at a very, very high speed on a, a roll. So it's a cylinder. It's a cylinder that rolls at a very, very high speed. And in this way, you can create um, sheets similar to the sheets of paper, but uh, actually incorporating these um, uh, tiny particles. Yeah? And in, uh, this allowed us to incorporate a lot of, uh, of waste material, you know, non non-usable without you know void it of any value but we created uh, new materials they arrived at my studio uh, in the shape of, of uh, sheets um, like dimensions of um, a2 sheets of paper flat flat paper then it already incorporates these particles so it already has a, a, a relief you know it it already has a, its own silhouette uh, afterwards, uh, what I do is um, uh, that the process includes cutting, pressing, and then uh, attaching the pieces that I need in the shape that I need to the metal part. Because in those pieces, I also use um, metallic conventional silver or gold parts. Having together um, in the same piece um, gold that is so conventional, that is, has been for ages the mark for the symbol for status, for value, for uh, richness, and then having uh, just next to it um, material that looks so unexpectedly beautiful, but that is made of something that that is made of rubbish. <laughs> yes, it is true. It's made of rubbish. I hope that all came through. It's tricky. A lot of this craft takes a lot of experimenting, dreaming, and just work in the wild. But Angie also possesses the mind of an architect and as such is able to think in big scales. So coming up with a major process to make what she does feels like something well within her grasp. At the end, um, I created something that has a value coming from unexpectedly non-valuable materials <laughs> that's the secret of alchemy <laughs> that is the secret of alchemy or eco-alchemy as i want to call it this shift in thinking changing non-valuable material into valuable it's so simple to understand in our minds but it also needs to be communicated well and with style and skill if it's going to catch on to a greater public Thankfully, the work Angie is doing encapsulates all of that and hopefully is something that will truly catch on. I also wanted to know, though, does she have any particular hopes and ambitions herself in all of this gorgeous work? I mean, it's fair enough if it's all just for the craft of it, but does she feel there's a greater picture behind it all, a longer plan? I think I would have satisfaction in seeing my work, but not only my work, uh, like pieces incorporating other materials, standing at least on the same level as the conventional and classical jewellery. Just only as a, as a tiny conclusion of our discussion to, to, to say again what we, what we were talking about in the beginning, that what we've experienced recently has brought together uh, many creative like-minded people and um, this I think is the basis for um, something else for something that will develop in the in the next years and I'm happy for that I mean I think this is the the beautiful silver lining in the times that we've experienced in the, the last months you can find more of Andy's beautiful work on the sites linked in the show notes I know from experience that when you're listening to a podcast, you're not always ready with a pen or online necessarily. So I won't regale you with tons of links right here. I've heard podcasts literally spell out the HTT parts and everything with backslashes and semicolons and whatnot. 
that's above and beyond the Call of Duty, I think. <laughs> so keep a check on the notes that will be in the show description. All will be within your reach. Thank you so much, Angie, for your time and for being part of the Blue Mind Bubble. <laughs> Thank you too. I want to give you some chances now just to let everything you've heard sink in, run around, put its legs up, or just take a nice warm bath or indeed cold water swim while you yourself give your mind a nice clean break. One thing that I let myself do over the past month or so is nap while lying on the beach. If this sounds as luxurious as it gets, well, I can't deny it, it was utterly blissful. No part of me wants to play it down at all. The sky was deep, solid blue, the noise was ambient, and I'd been editing all morning and afternoon, so I wasn't feeling that guilty about it. But just putting down a mat and lying back, letting go of all the worries about being woken by a dog or a sudden noise or whatever else ping-pongs around your head to all you of dangers that aren't necessarily present, and shutting your eyes outside is sincere, warm and welcome bliss. What I love in particular, and I can't switch my mind off to this if I try, so I just observe it now, is the sound element. I used to get this on trains home from college. You must have had this, but that deeply sleepy feeling where you're bobbing around on a train, collectively. The track noise is steady and the rattle is slow, and suddenly noise stops, and then you wake up. That's the only way I can explain it. Noise stops, then starts, like a brief glimpse of silence. In that time, you've successfully napped, maybe for a stop on the train, but still, it's lovely that on a beach forget about it perfection so i'll see if anything remotely approaching this is possible here i'll tell you what i'll try it see if it works and if you don't hear anything other than soothing lush beach sounds so be it my experiment did not work my worry is that gap might be too jarring but i have to try it so just yeah i'll 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 give it a shot and see what happens okay enough with the breakdowns Please rest your heads in this thought break and I will return to meet you on the other side. Welcome back to the Blue Mind Podcast. I'm Buddy Peace, I've been your host and narrator throughout, and it's been an absolute pleasure to guide you through these busy waters of, for this episode, mycelium and eco-material based jewellery. But now, as I promised back in the introduction, we'll spend some time in the lavish confines of the Heckles House Meditation Labs. It's my honour to reintroduce you to the glorious Lottie, a therapist up in Heckel's house who has written and crafted a unique meditation for this episode of Blue Mind, which will give you an absolutely perfect space for thoughts, non-thoughts, visualizations, and mental meanderings, which you can take with you back into the day, or if you're in the night right now, carry through to tomorrow. 
I'll be back at the end, returning calmly to sign off. But for now, dear listeners, may I reintroduce you to the wonderful Lottie. Hey, I'm Lottie. I'm going to be guiding you through a short meditation. And today, we're going to be taking a look out into the cosmos. So cosmos is an ancient Greek word. It means the universe regarded as a perfectly harmonious and orderly system. The moon, the sun, the stars, the planets, distant galaxies or even distant universes all working together as one. Most of the elements that make up the human body, like oxygen, hydrogen, carbon, the nitrogen in our DNA, they were all originally formed in stars. As the astronomer Carl Sagan said, the cosmos is within us. We are made of star stuff. We are a way for the universe to know itself. So let's begin by getting comfortable, either sitting or laying down. And when you're ready, just close your eyes gently. Feel the weight of your body and the pull of gravity towards the earth. Take a few deep breaths and as you breathe in, think of the oxygen nourishing every cell in your body. And as you breathe out, feel a sense of deep relaxation washing over you from head to toe. Now become aware of your toes, your feet, your legs, and just feel any sensations that come up and then let them relax. Notice your belly. If there's any tightness, just let it soften. When you inhale, breathe deep down into this area. Now notice your hands, your arms, the fronts and the backs and just let the muscles relax. Notice your back, your shoulders and let the tension melt away. And now bring your awareness to your chest and your neck. Again, just notice any sensations and let the area soften. Notice your jaw and your facial muscles, your forehead, the back of your head, and let these muscles soften too. Now bring your awareness to your eyes. See the darkness resting there, just underneath your eyelids. And feel the safety and the comfort of this space. And if any uncomfortable feelings or distractions come up, it's completely normal. All you need to do is observe them and then just let them go. Now imagine tiny dots appear out of this darkness. They're glowing with a light that seems gentle and yet strong at the same time. Gradually more of these glowing dots appear and you realise that you're looking out at the stars in space. And you're surrounded by a sea of stars now. These stars have been here for eons and they hold a mysterious and majestic beauty. The stars welcome you back and you feel a sense of the interconnectedness of the whole cosmos. You see yourself in those stars and the stars see themselves in you. Just take a moment to enjoy this sense of peace. Take another deep breath in and then exhale. 
stay here for as long as you like. And then whenever you're ready, just come back into the room. We're near to the other side of the Blue Mind Bubble, where I'll administer thanks and so on. But I just wanted to say a few words about the guests and what we've heard. So often we're hearing from guests about the furious and abundant treasures out there in nature. The relentless, unending beauty, the fearless power. I'm finding myself being more and more convinced that there are two elements that are essential to our survival. Are you ready for this? Because it might seem obvious. And maybe you've already made the leap before me. But I feel like the two undeniables, I guess you could call them, are love and nature. Simple. Love and nature. I've never met a single person who wouldn't want either. Of course, there will always be a balance of it and ratios in our lives. But I'm genuinely of the feeling that with love and with nature, you simply cannot lose. Not that it's about winning and losing. I don't mean in that sense. But okay, let's say our lives would never be detracted from by adding love and nature. Love for craft, people, life, adventure, creation, nature, being in, interacting with, regenerating, lying and swimming in, running through. I feel like this could be an ending I include in every Blue Mind podcast. I just wanted to add a few words after this episode, as it's almost like the most obvious revelation that has ever hit me. And sometimes with these, maybe it doesn't hurt to hear the obvious from time to time. The Blue Mind podcast was produced, arranged and scored by me, Buddy Peace. Infinite thanks to our guests, Jan Berbe and Angela Chobanu, for providing their time so generously. Links will be provided, of course, for you to follow their journeys And of course, thank you to Lottie for her beautiful meditation. Blue Mind is the name of an excellent book by Wallace J. Nichols, which is essential reading for anyone with an interest of all things sea-related. Thank you so much to Wallace for spiritual inspiration for this podcast. The Blue Mind podcast is produced for Heckles, who you can find online at heckles.co.uk, and that is spelt H-A-E-C-K-E-L-S or physically at number 18, Cliff Terrace, Margate, which you'll find up near the old Lido. You can also follow Heckles on Instagram over on at Heckles for product updates, ocean-based positivity, and innovations from all over the world. There are regular posts and stories, so it's almost like a constantly evolving blog of sorts. Loads for you to get lost in. We're also on Spotify, where I compile weekly playlists. If you just do a quick search for Heckles on Spotify, you'll find us. The playlists are around an hour or more of blissful sonics and beautiful music from all around the world, compiled and selected by hand without any algorithm assistance. Each week is unique and it's like an escape button if you need it. Most importantly of all though, so many thanks to you for listening and being a part of this. It's a proper thrill that you're here. It's a thrill that you're here and listening to the very end. Thank you so much.